Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you're listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable podcast. This is podcast number 471. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today I have my regular co-host, John White. John, today's Thursday, March 27th. How are you doing today? Doing really well, although it is a rainy day in the Bay, so Hollywood the Bay Report, it is muddy brown. Ugly, pretty ugly. It is muddy brown, and the rain is back again, and the calendar says rain for like another seven days. Yeah, uh, going to wash away. Like you said, fire during last year, this year, just flood and mud. I know what it's, I think we have a one month where it's just locusts. Yeah, exactly. California, you know, welcome to the West. Um, But we don't have freezing cold like Toronto does, so we shouldn't whine too much because everybody has their own weather. Uh, On the show today, uh, we are going to be talking and spending a little bit more time with managing apps on AWS using cloud health of the application. We talked a little bit about it last week, and this week we're going to continue talking about it. Um, We have on the show Prabhu uh, Bharati. Uh, he is a cloud native uh, advocate uh, in the advocate team. So we thought we would spend a little bit more time talking about cloud health and applications on AWS. So Parab uh, is on the call today, so we'll get to him. But before we do that, maybe we can just touch base on some of the news that's going on. Uh, I'll start first. We did a VMware Code Meetup. So uh, last night we live streamed a VMware Code Meetup where we uh, deep dived on a couple topics, Service Mesh. Uh, as well as uh, IoT open source, uh, kind of IoT edge computing things. So great meetup in Prom C in the cafeteria. I think we had like 50 people show up. A lot of fun. This was our first VMware Code meetup. We have a meetup group at meetup.com. You can go join the uh, VMware Code, VMware-Code meetup group, and we run meetups. We give pizza, beer, soda, and uh, you know, hang out, get to know everybody. Everybody gets a name tag, and uh, kind of a community opportunity in the Bay Area. You can also watch those live streams uh, on the Code Facebook page. So uh, a lot of fun there. That was good. Uh, That's exciting. So just to be 100% clear, open to the public. Open to the public. Yeah, it's the one place on campus that it is badged so that everybody can just park, walk in and be in the prom cafeteria. It's got hardwood floors it's, if you've never been here. It's a beautiful room. It seats probably 200 uh, if you pack them in. Uh, but it's nice, open-air, vaulted ceiling, giant projector. And then we spend the evening together. So it starts usually at 6.30, and we finished up around 9 p.m. with social. You know, we, the presentations go an hour each. So we finished up around 8, uh, 8, 8.15, and then we just hung out chatting and, and had a nice time. A lot of pizza, a lot of, a lot of drinks, and great people. So we're going to be running those every month, and we live stream them on Facebook. So if you want to just check out the technical topics, you can. Very cool. Uh, so what's going on with uh, VMUG? We, we've kind yeah. of skipped over them the last few times. What, what's new there? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I, you know, I said I'd uh, do the, the schedule, and I forgot to do it last week. But, um, uh, we have a bunch of them going on today. If you're at the UK Northwest BMUG meeting, it's probably already over. Same thing with the France BMUG meeting today. But tomorrow, uh, March 28th, DC, uh, District Columbia, VSphere 6.7 BMUG Roadshow, um, and the Richmond BMUG meeting. Uh, the Scottish BMUG Glasgow meeting, um, if you're Glaswegian. Uh, the Hungary uh, BMUG meeting is on March 29th. And then the Austin VSphere uh, Roadshow, VMUG Roadshow is on April 2nd, along with the Central Ohio VMUG UserCon, also on April 2nd. And the uh, 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 next week uh, on the 3rd, the Las Vegas VMUG meeting next Wednesday. So um, maybe those people can uh, listen to the podcast and tell us how it went after, uh, after they exit the VMUG meeting. Yeah, absolutely. Other thing to shout out in the news, um, we are doing a call for papers. So there is a call for papers going on for VMworld around code and developer topics. So if you want to go to vmworld.com, let me see if I can find the uh, address for that while we're chatting here. I have that. It is uh, vmworld.com. It's a long address, slash en, slash us, slash learning, slash sessions.html, hash speaking-opportunities. 
Uh, so you can go back and rewind that and listen to that if you want to go find that one. Or it is in the chat, uh, the TalkShoe app at uh, bmw.re slash pod now records the chat. So on the sidebar, you can just go, go to the chat log and check out that link, or just go to look at vmworld.com. Um, I believe these are code, uh, VMware code uh, paper submissions, not generally open to everyone, but maybe not. VMworld seeking opportunities. I'm looking at them. Yeah, there is a VMware code speaker interest. There is an employee call for papers. There is uh, also a place that if you want to express interest uh, for customers. 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 So it's a landing page. The one that we're processing are the VMware code speaker papers. So we will have code presentations again at VMworld. And it is a way to submit uh, what you want to talk about if you have uh, an engineering topic. I think some of the call for other speaker proposals are coming from employees this year. So a little bit different, and uh, but they have a couple other ways to get uh, some proposals in. So with that, uh, we'll, we'll end. And yeah, Tony, do you have something to add? Quick question on that. Does that uh, include um, the uh, V Brown Bag Tech Talks uh, as part of that, or is it strictly just the code ones? On the site integrated into the speaker request, it is specifically for code. If you, it's a great point, though. If you're interested in doing a V Brown Bag community talk, we're still doing all of those the same way we always do them every year. Uh, go to V Brown Bag, I think it's commer.org, Google it, and uh, go submit a paper. I think Alistair has the submissions up. Uh, so we will be running the same V Brown Bag. Uh, community talks as we always do every year. And I think that is up. You can go uh, submit, a, submit an idea over there as well. The difference between the VMworld integration this year is that the code papers um, will be a formal uh, speaker session slot. And therefore, you'll get a paid pass to come to VMworld. Very cool. Or at least to get into VMworld, I think you have to you have to pay your own way to VMworld and your hotel. But you, as a speaker, you will get into the speaker uh, program, and and they do give a pass for those speaker slots. So we brought code into the formal uh, sessions process at VMworld. All right. With that, uh, I don't know, Corey. Do we want to loop back to you? Do you have anything you want to mention around V experts, or should we get on with the show? I don't I don't have anything this week, but uh, I do have some things in the works in the works that will, uh, will pop up probably next week. All right, all right. Well, good, good on that. And so, so let's get to our main topic today, which is uh, uh, talking about managing apps on AWS using Cloud Health. And uh, Prabhu, uh, why don't we uh, chat with you a little bit? Why don't you tell us uh, what you do at VMware? How long have you been here? Uh, what's your role? What have you done in the industry? And uh, any kind of other favorite technologies or career uh, experiences you've had, just to give the community members a sense of who you are and what you do. Sure. Hey, hey. Good. Good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, whenever you end up listening to it. Uh, so I'm. My, my name is Pro Bharati. I'm a public cloud uh, advocate here at VMware. Uh, my focus is primarily on public cloud operations and uh, cloud-native applications and how customers are building these out as they go along. Uh, my role basically entitles a sort of bridge between our customers, our developer community, and product teams here at VMware. Uh, so that's my current role as a, uh, as a cloud advocate. Prior to taking on this role, uh, I was a specialist uh, systems engineer supporting the uh, NSX product line, the networking and security product line at VMware. So I did that for about three years. Uh, I've been at VMware now coming up on four and a half years total. Uh, before coming to VMware, I spent about eight years at another company in the Bay Area. Uh, I've had the good fortune of working for all Bay Area companies in my life, which actually been only two. <laughs> so, uh, before coming to VMware, I spent about eight years uh, working for a company called Juniper Networks down in Sunnyvale. Uh, I worked for them in the Virginia area, and I had a bunch of different roles out there. Uh, I did a little bit of pre-sales engineering, solution architects. I did proof of concept testing, a bunch of different things for Juniper Networks before coming over to VMware. And uh, that's where, and before that, I also want to give a shout out to 
my good friend Al Rashid, who actually hired me into my first uh, real job as such at George Mason um, University, and uh, he kind of got me through all the stuff, supporting Windows desktops and all that stuff, which was it seems like a really long time ago now, but um, it kind of gives you where I started and where now I kind of uh, what I do now. Are you talking about the uh, DCC Muck leader? Yeah, oh. DCC Muck leader. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, shout out to Oliver Sheehan. Nice, nice, nice. Okay, and uh, now that you're now that you're here and uh, you're working as an advocate, uh, what what's your experience like uh, with regard to you know turning into an advocate? Uh, because we are community members, and a lot of us are the mm -hmm. experts. Uh, uh, what's your experience like? Uh, and tell us a little bit about what your primary role from a, for an advocate is. What products are you advocating for, and what mm -hmm. what's it like to be doing that role? No, that's a great, great question. Like, you know, this has come up a couple of times uh, over the years. Like, you know, what, what does an advocate really entitle? And uh, the way I look at it is like, you know, you, you are evangelizing both aspects. You're not just saying, hey, go use this product because it's the greatest thing in the world. But it's also saying, I know this can work, but there are other things that may or may not work, right? So talk about the whole ecosystem as a whole is, I think, a very, very, very important piece of it. But also providing a way for customers and developers who are, say, on the fence about looking at a piece of technology that we, we could be making, how do we basically provide a bridge for that community over to our product team as we're building stuff, right? So being able to provide that and also provide real-world examples. Like, I think we, there's a lot of things you can do where you can show, you know, you can do a lot of how-tos overall. But how do I put that in context of, a larger application because that's where it really comes down to, right? So like a lot of the stuff that you, you, you probably are seeing coming out from me, from the team itself on our, uh, from, from the larger developer advocacy team here at VMware is how do we put that in context of a larger application or take, take a problem, a problem use case that we are seeing across our customer base and how do I solve that using our tools, using a conjunction of our tools with something else because it's never going to be a perfect world where we're going to be just with our set of tools, right? So we, we need to basically show that uh, in a usable form so that someone can basically look at it and be like, yeah, you know, I had that problem. I know, I know someone solved it some way. And being able to provide some kind of reference material that they can kind of go back to is what, uh, with the way I kind of look at it uh, and provide that holistic approach to our, uh, to our community. All right. Right, good. Um, so moving on to the beyond cost management, managing your applications at scale uh, in AWS. That's point mostly the mm -hmm. topic here. Um, are we are we talking about uh, cloud health? Are we talking about other applications? Uh, how do we approach this when you know I know I run multiple applications now on AWS. Uh, why don't you take mm -hmm. us through uh, what sh what should we be looking at first, and then what's VMware's take on how to go about this? Yeah, like the way we, the more we talk to customers around, you know, running applications in public cloud, we basically kind of narrow down to a couple different topics. So in the previous couple, uh, couple of uh, podcasts that you guys did, uh, we talked about how do you uh, look at cost management, how do you look at security, how do you look at analytics, right? So that's really where it kind of boils down to it. Uh, if I want to provide a consistent experience across multiple cloud providers, if I want to look at how do I uh, how do I run my applications in a consistent manner, right, and operationalize this, that's what it kind of boils down to. Now, from that standpoint, there are a couple tools in our toolkit that we'll will we have uh, we have access to that we can kind of go figure figure some of these things out. Uh, in that in the same vein, I do want to. Uh, just zero in on Cloud Health for a second. Uh, when we look at an application, and the number one thing that a lot of people basically tell us is the fact that, you know, how do I get a full understanding or a holistic understanding of what my application is really doing, right? And what I mean by that is, can I get application metrics? Can I get the metrics from how well this instance is actually being used? And usage patterns, right? We, we all have applications that may be cyclical in nature. They may be very uh, season-based, for, for example. So how do I basically start monitoring this, and how do I get some, get a, get a, how do I basically do this in a way that is consistent across 
multiple cloud providers. And also once I get this data, what do I do with this data? You know, I want to be able to provide uh, right-sizing information. I want to be able to match it to the appropriate instance family that Amazon carries. Uh, do I need to move to a different instance type, right? There's a lot of different questions that start coming up. And ultimately, I want to be able to do this in sort of a closed-loop approach, where it's not just that I do it one time. I want to be, do, be able to do this in a more uh, holistic kind of closed-loop form so that I'm doing this on an ongoing basis, and I'm not just doing this once, and then I Back in the, I'm back in the, back to the same point, you know, six months later. I don't want to be doing that, but I want to be able to do this in a somewhat closed loop fashion at the end of the day. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one of the things that I struggle with when I'm looking at metrics and starting to manage is what actions can we actually take against that data and what we're learning. And I always find that there's this fall off between having data and then programmatically taking action with that data, right? And, and everybody likes to say, give me the metrics, give me, you know, let me follow everything, give me all this data. But then how do enterprises actually tie it into automatically scaling workloads to the right instances or some other process that doesn't require an admin there doing all the work? Because I find that the, the data is one element and then doing the work against the data is the element, element and I see that falling off. Or even just coming up with a decision tree based on the data, right? Like what decisions do Absolutely. I have to make? Like what optimizations can happen? And, and then how do I inject the human element? to make sure that, you know, this all makes sense of, you know, fitting into a long-term strategy as opposed to maybe what just the data was showing over the past, you know, 90 days or 30 days. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's, the, that's the key here, right? Like, the, these metrics are not, let, 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 I do want to call it out and say that, you know, these metrics are there for everyone to use. Like, I can go pull CPU metrics. I can go pull memory metrics, network metrics, storage metrics. I can pull all this information from, uh, from AWS directly, like I can get this manually, but the, the heavy lifting is really that part that you that you basically hit the nail on the head there is taking all that data and how do I make sense of it? Like how do I basically come up come up with a way that tells me, in a in a in a sort of easy manner that tells me, okay, this is the usage pattern over the last thirty days or sixty days or whatever that time frame is going to be, and do it in a consistent manner across all my applications. I can only do it for so long based on individual metrics, but if I have to do this at scale, of any sort of scale, it gets, it gets out of hand pretty, pretty quickly, if you ask me. Yeah, I think something that we, we at least in my mind, that, that kind of came into focus last week when we talked to Sean O'Dell was, oh, we're talking about a tool that'll help me as soon as I can't hold the entire application and what it is, all the different pieces in my head, you know, and all the different options in my head, that's when I need a tool. When I want, yeah. Because what I really want to do at scale is kind of set a policy and a threshold. This is about how much money I really want to spend. Here's when I want to know when I'm overrunning, um, you know, my, my hourly spend or daily spend or weekly or whatever that rate is. And, and I want to be alerted. And here's the thresholds that I want for automatic remediation. And here's the threshold that I want for, you know, man manual intervention um, before yeah. I have an automatic remediation. One of my questions is, yeah, is the role, it, who is actually doing, running Cloud Health? If we're talking Cloud Health or other tools that are doing this, is the role of the administrator now in a, in a cloud environment, are they the ones that are actually using these tools to try to, you know, load balance where my apps go? Or is there a, a DevOps apps manager? What is who is actually you know, taking on this task and yeah. doing that work? The people in process seems right. very, very important as you move towards yeah. the paradigm, right? No, that's a, that's a very, very good question. And uh, what we're finding more and more as we talk to customers who are somewhat good, they have good mature operations for public cloud, is they usually have something called a cloud center of excellence, right? So these are teams mm -hmm. that are dedicated to operating public cloud environments. And these are not necessarily your developer development teams, right? So they are slightly different from that standpoint that they're, they're not attached to the, the on-premises infrastructure teams either. Their sole purpose is to make sure that when 
teams require access to get into Amazon. They, they make sure that access is basically set up for them. They're making sure that the contracts are in place with all these major cloud providers. They have all the tools, like cloud health, like uh, perimeter tools that they need to basically monitor these environments at scale. So I know at VMware, we have a cloud center excellence that basically runs, this, runs all three major providers for our operations. And they basically are able to pull all this information from Cloud Health. So basically things like right sizing information or uh, budget data, if you want to set some stuff like that, like, okay, my test budget should never go above X amount or whatnot. They're able to basically pull that and then provide this back to individual lines of business. And that's one of the beauty of this, this kind of platform is that you can basically pull that information in but also take advantage of where you can take advantage of economies of scale. You can take advantage of it from that standpoint, but also the, on the other side, provide these optimizations and recommendations for optimizations that individual lines of business don't need to get too caught up with, right? They don't have, they, they want to get the recommend, they want to be on the other side of the getting the recommendation, but they don't necessarily need to get bogged down with managing these platforms on their own. To have a centralized team, like, a, uh, like what I said described, that they were able to do this for a lot of the development teams is what we we're finding. Now, having said that, there's no hard and fast rule as such that we're seeing, uh, but it's used mostly by people who are cloud operators at the end of the day is what we're, we're finding more and more. Okay, that's, not, that's nice to know. So the, the cloud operator role now actually you know, sits somewhere in the scope of uh, not IT, uh, not developers, not even DevOps, but just cloud operations mm -hmm. uh, to, to manage your, your cloud instances. And, you know, different company sizes might have that role sit closer to IT, might sit mm -hmm. closer somewhere, right? So I can see that. Okay, that makes sense. I also see, um, yeah. Eric, sorry, before, before we move on, it, it's interesting because it almost seems like there's going to be a tighter integration with the finance uh, team when you are operating and, and consuming uh, some of these this infrastructure as a service and you can burst up and burst mm -hmm. down. Um, you know, usually, you know, finance would get involved with IT operations around a purchase cycle. So there's an examination of a purchase cycle as opposed to just almost daily, you know, you know, or real-time examination of exactly what's being consumed. Right, because the purchase is a continuous purchase. Um, and it can, again, burst up and burst down with, uh, you know, along with that utilization. So, um, yeah, a tighter, yeah, absolutely. tighter, so I, I can see that Cloud Center of Excellence needing a tighter integration with a finance operation. Um, so, uh, it, you know, which is, I think, uh, very different from, you know, kind of a traditional uh, status quo relationship between finance and IT. Yeah, and I think it's also like you're, 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 you're spot on because it's not necessarily always just a one-time purchase that we're making, right? And there's a lot of tweaks that uh, the larger, larger cloud providers offer our end users. Uh, things like reserve instances, things like how do you basically reserve something for an X amount of time on a on a pre-allocated basis, right? So there's a lot of things that uh, that are that is kind of I mean I hate to say it this way, but like it's out of the scope for IT to actually worry about it in a lot of ways. Like as as a developer, I'm not that concerned about you know, hey, I want to build an application, but at the same time, I don't want to get so caught up with the the the, the backend billing metrics of what is needs to happen. So this this definitely helps optimize a lot of that at scale. But this content reference, absolutely, 100%. We've seen tighter integration with finance, uh, finance teams to make sure that you know you're really getting your bank's buck when you go out, start building out at scale in public cloud environments. No doubt. Okay, um, that makes sense. Um, okay, so as we as you, as you get as we drill down a little bit into cloud health and some of the things that. Uh, it does. I, we look at you know things that we, we mentioned: eliminating zombie instances, optimizing EBS volumes, right-sizing EC2 instances. Um, these are all things that are just optimizing you know your 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 bill rate right for things that go out of control. Um, I know that uh, Cloud Health you know takes takes a look at that. Maybe we can talk a little bit about um, 
you know, using it to do those, but are there other things that people are actually uh, using it to do besides just watching for, you know, zombie, zombie VMs or whatever we would call the <laughs> Elastic Sky resourcing? <laughs> I'm happy the way that blog actually caught on. Um, I, I actually have no recollection why I ended up calling it that, but I'm happy that it, uh, <laughs> it caught on. Um, Yes, that, that's kind of the way I look at it is that those are sort of your low-hanging fruit kind of things that you want to be able to hit as you start to peel back costs from public cloud, uh, public cloud infrastructure as such. Uh, the, the more in, involved pieces are around how do I basically right-size applications that are going to be uh, running for an extended period of time. So. As an example, like you know, when we talk to a lot of customers, we, what we end up finding is that you know, as as the development process actually usually kicks off, it's we're not doing that right sizing as such at the at the start, right? Uh, typically, what we find is you know, uh, a lot of development teams will go out, throw up instances which are general purpose instances, and that's totally fine. Like we've done this as as part of our dev test. The workloads as well. So we'll go and throw up instances which are not necessarily optimized for any specific instance family or so on and so forth. But what happens right. is over time, like you're, you're, you probably need to start optimizing it for some particular family. So what I mean by that is Amazon does a great job of providing you a very wide array of compute family that you can basically go pick from, right? So what I mean by that is like if there's some, say an instance which is say compute heavy but doesn't use a lot of memory, I want to be able to know that. But like we, we talked about earlier, how do I basically find that recommendation? Either I can look at the instance and figure this out manually, or I can use a platform like Cloud Health to make that thing, uh, make that recommendation for me, but not by just looking at the individual instances, but there are, there are things within the platform which allow me to group these things into logical entities. Uh, one of these uh, frameworks is called Perspective. So Perspective allows you to do this in a much more seamless way where you can actually do this and say, hey, this entire app, how does this entire app actually look from a holistic perspective? Like, you know, does the database say for the database here, what does it need to be scaled? Do I need to move to a different instance family for the database versus what I need to do for the web front end versus what I need to do for the middle middleware tier, right? Whatever I need to do, it gives me that recommendation to start doing this in a more application-centric approach where I can take the recommendations and tell me whether I need to go across to a uh, faith. I want to go up an instance family, or if I need to go across to another instance family altogether, start giving me those much more nuanced recommendations. The, the other aspect is also here is to be able to start bringing some of some more enhanced metrics, right? So this is where uh, one of the biggest things that we'll start seeing this year is coming together of all these, all of our different cloud services. So the first one that we did announced some time ago was the integration for something like Wavefront, right? The ability to bring in Wavefront metrics. So long-term metrics that we're able to capture and gather inside of Wavefront, we're able to start bringing that and making right-sizing decisions based on those metrics as well. So our engine is pretty, pretty sharp at this point now that we're able to turn through a lot of different pieces to start making sense out of just not just based it on CPU memory network storage, we're not just using those kind of metrics. We're starting to leverage much more deeper metrics to start giving us more holistic uh, right-sizing recommendations. I really, I, I have to say that um, I like that you're you know, telling us not to gloss over the complexity of choosing the instance family, right? Because right now, if you go to choose a, a family um, or even just a specific size, I encounter what I think it's called choice paralysis, right? When you go mm -hmm. to, um, you know, buy something in the grocery store and you're like, oh, I'm just going to get, um, you know, chicken noodle soup. And then you show up and then there's like 500 different varieties of chicken noodle soup. That's the same thing yeah. that happens when I look at um, instance types and, and Amazon EC2, right? And uh, it's maybe a little bit easier with like S3 bucket types. Like there's, you know, but, you know, if I say S3 versus EBS versus, you know, whatever, but then it starts to get a little bit more complicated. And, and again, I'm starting to, I'm saying I can't hold that in my head. And, and it's actually not valuable for me as a customer mm -hmm. to hold it in my head, right? I want, 
I want to I want to make like a maybe an initial choice the way you're saying. Well, everything is going to be size mm -hmm. medium, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know exactly yeah, what t-shirt size I wear, but everything is going to be medium. My database is going to be medium. My web servers are going to be medium. My my business logic is going to be medium, and then over time I'm I'm going to let something else tell me what it should be sized at, and then maybe you know I think you're starting to get into like. Uh, you know, maybe a reserved instance versus not a reserved instance. And, that, and uh, thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. Like, but I, I just, no, it, it, the, it's I gloss over it, you know, but it's valuable. Yeah. I have a more a, 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 an agent question here that I'll just throw at you guys. Like, so when I'm, yeah. when I'm setting this up, I'm building my app. Um, is there code? How do I, how do I, you know, get the right metrics from my app to know like, okay, what are my response times on, on given HTTP requests or whatever they are, right? Like, uh, is there an agent infrastructure or how am I getting these metrics back out of my apps to be able to make some of these, these determinations? Cause I look at some of the stuff I run and, it just depends on what time of year. It depends on how much load there is on the application, uh, what what those metrics are going to look like, and and that plays into it. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how people collect the data from the applications to be able to make these determinations. Yeah, yeah, sure. So so Starthouse itself is able to pull metrics from CloudWatch. Uh, that those are CloudWatch events. We're able to pull CloudWatch metrics as well from the instances themselves. Uh, we can augment that with uh, with metrics that are coming from Wavefront or basically any metrics platform that you can think of that's out there in the market, right? Uh, there's no agent required if we're just using metrics that are coming from CloudWatch itself because those are metrics that we're able to port directly into the platform coming from AWS. Uh, if it is metrics that are coming from Wavefront, then Wavefront and other platforms in that same right. realm all yeah. have a agent that they deploy. So in the case of Wavefront, we use a telegraph agent that basically pulls all that metric, sends it off to the Wavefront platform for that to churn. So that, that, that architecture is pretty standard across the board. Uh, if you look at all the other players in the market, they, they have an agent of some sorts to pull that application level details from coming from the from the instance itself, right? So if you want okay. to get, get, say, you know, how many API hits did it make or something very, very specific to the application itself, there will be a combination of the, the, the agent that we talked about and maybe a little bit of code that you need to put in to basically pull that relevant piece out of it. But other than that, if you're looking at just, say, straight up CPU memory, network storage, those kind of things, those are all coming straight from CloudWatch itself into the platform. All right. That answered my question, which really is uh, uh, CloudWatch for general system type information right, right. that Amazon mm -hmm. would have. And then it's up to you to kind of build what you want in your application. We offer Wavefront, which gives you all kind of you know, program, program, programming capability to be able to set alarms or watch points and, and then ru run code. And then you guys have done an integration with Cloud Health to be able to take the Wavefront stuff and then you know, push it into Cloud Health to be able to take action from a, you know, right sizing, managing your AWS resources. Then obviously you can use Wavefront to do all kinds of other coding things to make other things in your application happen. So that makes sense. I get that. that, that that's clean. Right. What about the um, what about the seasonality part? I mean, just you know, to take Eric's apps for an example, you know, maybe there's um, the EV Expert application app, which gets probably pretty heavily hit right around you know the in the run up to the the, the two deadlines a year. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, if we if I was an operator and I was examining you know the the four months like right in the middle, you know, between those uh, those those hot seasons, it might make one recommendation that wasn't appropriate for that uh, mm -hmm. for those heavy seasons. So how would how would Cloud Health help me there, um, and how do I keep it from you know looking at bad data, right, to make a, a good recommend recommendation based on bad data? Yeah, no, that's a that's a very very good question because the way historically, like if you take a step back and think of how we historically have built infrastructure platforms is, you know, we always build infrastructure platforms for peak usage for the most part, right? Like we would say, mm -hmm. hey, I expect this, this infrastructure to scale to this platform, so I'm going to build this for that platform, and then that's going to just be become my steady state for the most part, right? That's how historically we've always right. built infrastructure. But 
when we, when we take a look at cloud-based infrastructure, we basically don't need to build it for that peak. We will scale to that peak when we need it, but we would always build it for, say, steady-state architecture, right? So we don't have to build it for that in, that that peak season that we're necessarily going to encounter for a couple of months. So something like Cloud Health basically is able to uh, pinpoint that 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 time period, right? Saying, hey, we noticed that in the month of March it is pretty high, but if we go down to say July, it's not super high. So you may be able to come down to another instance family that will that's able to give you that. But at the same time, the the answer there is really to leverage this platform to give you the steady state, but also leverage some things that are coming out of uh, the AWS platform, things like auto scaling, for example, right? You basically have to use these in conjunction to get to that point where when you need to flex that application up, you have that infrastructure in place that allows you to flex up and go up when you need it. And you have to, it's a combination of tools here. So it's not just gonna be, the answer is not just gonna be, hey, I'm gonna exactly tell you when it is, but pinpointing that usage pattern is actually pretty critical. So I would say using a, using things like auto scaling groups in conjunction with the the uh, the metrics that are coming out of Wafer, for example, like tells you exactly, hey, this is what I've seen for the past year. Uh, Wafer can also do comparative comparative things. So meaning I can go go into the platform and say, hey, tell me how did this web instance do uh, in terms of uh, latency, in terms of traffic data that is hitting this for the past uh, in, in comparison to today versus last week versus last month. So give me a lot of good comparative, comparative data that I can start building uh, my application based on. And then choosing the right instance family and stuff is stuff that's coming out of Cloud Health, right? So I can basically use the data that's coming out of these three areas to build a burstable platform like what you're describing. I think and that's very similar to what we're finding in a lot of uh, a lot of customer cases that you know we don't necessarily need to build it for that peak that we're necessarily trying to build for. We can build it for steady state, but put the right tooling in place to identify when does this need to actually scale up. So this is where the the SRE uh, playbook and stuff like that comes into play. Where I'm looking for basically golden signals like this. I know this is what is going to happen. I will go do and re-optimize uh, re for those kind of uh, environments rather than building it for uh, the peak and then having it just run part of the year with nothing nothing really going through it, right? So right, um, right. It, it's finding that right tuning at the end of the day to right size and also figure out how this application is going to really work over the, over the course of the year. That makes sense. So it's a combination of tools. Maybe right size for your steady state, but then engineering the application yeah. to be able to scale up and peak. That, yeah. that makes a lot of sense to me. Very helpful yeah. to get my brain around that. Thank you. In, in Cloud Helpland, uh, if we, we talk financial management for a little bit, I know that uh, finance, uh, financial departments were very excited about having Cloud Health and AWS before we acquired them. That's why they were like a tier one Amazon vendor. Um, does finance get involved with uh, looking at this data? Is there a financial element to this? Or is this really the cloud operators just looking at it to be able to get a sense of what they're consuming? And do we do any projection on future capacity needs from a budgeting perspective, mm -hmm. if there is a finance element to cloud health? Yeah, yeah absolutely. We, we have a lot of finance teams actually leverage the platform to basically do things like chargeback. How do I build build basically a line of business? Uh, reports, projections. It does also do projections out for, I, think it, I believe it's like three months at a time. So we can go and project out and say, hey, my bill has been, you know, for the past couple months, it has been steady state has been this much. But then over the course of, say, VMworld, right? Like VMworld is a big event for us. So like if you're starting to host a lot of things on AWS, we know that from the for the month of, August, it's going to be super, it's going to be X amount more, things like that. Like based on historical data, right. I can tell, okay, mm -hmm. it's going to go up this much. So it gives, gives finance teams that uh, sort of view into what uh, things that they're more interested in, like, uh, you know, seasonality of spend, uh, forecasting for spend, those kind of things are very crucial for them. Uh, 
they would love to draw. I'm sure that they would love to see <laughs> CPU memory metrics, but I don't know if they're going to be super keen on those metrics. But likewise, uh, on the other side, like, you know, these billing metrics are pretty gnarly at the end of the day. Like if you start looking through how convoluted it can get for a company of any decent size, you know, so making sense of those kind of uh, making sense of that. And the biggest thing is here, I do want to stress on one, one point here is that in this, this platform, we talked a lot about the fact that, you know, we can do this with AWS. Don't forget that this is also a multi-cloud platform in, at its core. So being able to look at costs across Amazon, Azure, Google, and your on-premises data center is super critical for a lot of companies. And increasingly, we're finding that, you know, companies have an on-premises uh, data center that they're already running. They have a decent size, a decent presence in Amazon. But they are exploring Amazon, uh, Azure, or Google to be their second or third provider. Depending on what they're trying to build, they will choose another cloud provider in a lot of cases here, right? So Mm -hmm. for something like that, it's super, super helpful to have that, you know, aggregated view in a platform like this that can, uh, and and a lot of the things that we talked about, so like instance right sizing, um, identifying, you know, just doing health checks across your cloud environments and things, these are capabilities that are that are available across the board, across all all of the cloud providers today. So super super helpful in that scenario. Am I am I correct in thinking also that um, rather than getting like a bill that's aggregated by services, that you can start to aggregate your bill by um, as, sorry as opposed to Amazon services? You know, this is what your S three bill is this month. Maybe you can, you know, kind of reformulate it to say, well, this is what my, you know, XYZ products charges are, right? If this business unit has a product and I'm tagging all of the the resources that we're using in a specific way, then I can aggregate and see what the bill is for that. So then if, you know, suddenly we go, hey, normally you have a $20,000 bill, but all of a sudden we have a $100,000 bill and... And I could, you know, like our finance person might have yeah. a heart attack, right? This is a really interesting concept, right? right? It's like yeah. even simulations, yeah. right? Like maybe I could simulate, hey, if I move this workload to, to Azure versus keeping this over in AWS, do I get a different mix? Like right. do they have different rates and can I can I manage to the multi-cloud environment with rates? And, right. and it just right. reminds me of SaaS services where I can I can Uber, I can I can buy things on demand, I can shop on demand, I can manage compute resources on demand depending on cost structure. Right. right, right. Yeah. Or even yeah. just knowing that, hey, you know, the reason my bill went up is because this brand new service that we have, you know, right. that we introduced right. is taking off and and we're actually bringing in, you know, 10x in revenue what we thought that we would do in the first month. So, you know, the fact that we're paying, you know, sixty thousand dollars more a month is actually you know, vastly offset by the revenue spring product. Right. So, you know, just being able to show back, like, yeah. rather than, oh, hey, our bill is way bigger than Well, and just building this into chargeback, right? So yeah. that then yeah. it, even if I'm just a consumer of IT, I can just go in here and see uh, what I'm consuming, what they're charging me back for, and maybe I can go in and say, yeah, deprioritize these type of things because I want to manage my own budget, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, very, very uh, yeah. neat, kind of almost like, SaaS service, modern app uh, kind of right. space here of managing compute resources. So then maybe, yeah. um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but both come perhaps like that cloud center of excellence starts to become like almost like an arms dealer, right? Where we're, <laughs> we're getting you the best deals and, uh, and, 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 yeah. and handing you the bill. Yeah. Like you're the one who's paying for it. You're the one who's using it, right? Um, and we're, yeah. you know, that team becomes like a middleman. Yeah, yeah, compute bidding, right? Like right. the cloud bidding yeah. on capacity load rates. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think it's it's very similar. I mean, in, in the way I kind of draw a parallel to this is in some ways, historically, like, you know, we've had vendor management or uh, procurement businesses already, right, as part of a very large organization. Uh, in a lot of ways, like procurement of, cloud-based infrastructure is what we're able to now streamline with something like this, where the it's it, what we're right. finding is it's less about trying to move an application from, say, an existing provider to another, but it's, it's really about that finding the right provider 
and right um, combination of what I want to do with that provider. So if I want to go build my latest and greatest, you know, ML platform uh, or, or an application that's leveraging ML in the back end, I want to build that on Google for whatever reason it may be. Or if I want to go build something on Amazon because, you know what, all my customer data today lives on Amazon. So it comes down to basically those two things is one is data gravity, like where does the data reside uh, that I'm trying to build on top of? And then also, what am I trying to leverage from that cloud provider, right? Is it scale or is it reach? Um, for example, say, you know, very simple thing like that is like, I, I was reading something recently like that Azure started to open up. Azure was the first one to, first cloud provider, major cloud provider to open up data centers in the Middle East, for example. So if my customer base is all of them are in the Middle East, I want to have that reach inside of the Middle East versus if I want to go do stuff across the globe, yeah, Amazon and Google and Microsoft all are pretty even keel at that point. But, you know, it comes down to using the cloud provider best to the best abilities that they are able to deliver to you as an end consumer. And this cloud center excellence is super, it's very critical for that so that they can help be that broker, like you, like you said. Yeah, that's going to be, that's a, it's a, it's a great, you know, use case of this whole thing and it takes it to a whole nother level. And I, yeah. I feel for IT admins because as this kicks in, the, the days of you needing to rack and stack and run machines where you can, it's kind of like if you're in the rental car business now, you know, you're, you're going to be down a downward slide, right? Because right. over time, the ride sharing apps are just so much more efficient mm -hmm. at managing the resources sources that are called cars, right? right. Um, and, and if I look at this model with cloud health and managing cloud services and cloud usage, right, like the days of driving your own car around or running your own rack of machines is just, just and it's not so much from the efficiency of racking and running, because I can actually run my own machines more efficiently, right? Just by running, like you say, I can keep track of these 12 machines. But as soon as you start scaling out services and keeping track of services and then managing services at different rates from different, you know, vendors, I can see where, you know, if I had WordPress providers that are plugged into this, I could then come through and just select a low-cost word WordPress provider right. in Saudi Arabia or in the, the geo where it's going to be the fastest latency time. So now you get the, the, the analytics from the platform mixed with the cost from the platform and the geos, and it's like, yeah, I'm not running in my own stuff anymore. Right? <laughs> like that, that just shifts the paradigm, right, from what's efficient to a whole other level of efficiency. So that's pretty neat. I, I, like, I like that idea. And, and we didn't even really scratch the service on on the management, right, and the compliance of uh, policies, right? Yeah, right, and then clearly we talked a little bit about that last week, so we just didn't want to re rehash sure. you know, all of this security and compliance related the data that comes from cloud health, but I think that from the service management perspective and analytics perspective, and then, you know, uh, I didn't realize they actually, I, I threw that question out of, did, do they do, you know, forecasting, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of like I expected a no. Right. But the fact that they actually then do forecasting where I can actually look as a as a budget manager, I have to forecast where I'm going to be. And these cycles do change. And my AWO costs do change. And they're enough now that I they impact what I have to do per quarter on a budget. Right. And then you can, you know, maybe get estimates based on, on real data. And then as things go forward, you can say, well, you know, let me evaluate the accuracy of my forecast, you know, based on, uh, you know, what's actually happening. So that, that's exciting, too. Well, it's exciting for a finance person. Right. Maybe right. not for an actual <laughs> operator, right? right. <laughs> but every operator has to worry about uh, worry about costs and, and, and where the money's going to come from in budget. So it's a, it's a good it's a good vocabulary to learn oh, as yeah, you go absolutely. forward in your career here, for sure. Uh, probably we always talk near the end of the show here. Maybe I have ten more minutes. Like, what do you? What should, we all had to put our goals together for uh, 2019 as a VMware employee. Uh, what are some of your goals that you can at least talk about? What are you trying to accomplish this year? And uh, and because you're an advocate, uh, how can community people help you? But why don't we just start with what are some of your big goals for 2019 or the physical yeah, year 2020 uh, calendar year 2019? <laughs> yeah, it's still I, I still struggle with that, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. Primary goals are, uh, you know, it's a very broad. I'll start with a slightly broader goal, but the, the big thing is to basically improve VMware's presence in this public cloud space, right? I think as a whole, I think we have 
uh, pretty challenging time ahead of us to make sure that customers realize that, you know, VMware is way more than just a hypervised company now. Uh, we're playing in a lot of different markets. And my, as part of my goal and as part of my team's goal, we want to be able to establish VMware as a credible player in this space. Uh, we have some really, really awesome products here that solutions that we can take to market. And through our advocacy platform, we want to be able to make sure that we are we're starting to basically get our word out there, get these use cases out there. People can start leveraging these platforms to start using this. So that's uh, that's kind of the, the first uh, first bullet that I want to hit on. Uh, the second one is around you know putting out relevant content. So you've already seen our website, which is the beyondvirtual.io. Uh, you've seen some good content out there. Uh, basically, my goal is to have at least a couple blogs every month on things that I find curious, that I run into as I talk to customers in this area. Uh, how do we, how can we solve some of these challenges and things like that? So I want to be able to ramp that up. And uh, on a personal front, I think I have a goal of at least uh, finding finding a couple more speaking slots at uh, conference locally, and also uh, take part in more of um, community outreach outreach podcasts, video calls, whatever it may be. Um, basically, be be available to the community, right? Like uh, if they start using the platform and if they want to see something. Uh, take that feedback and build that into a much more efficient process so that, you know, we're starting to build out more and more features that are going to be hugely impactful for the end customer at the end of the day. So those, those are kind of my own goals. And then yeah. um, I have uh, yeah. I have a new family that's coming, so I have personal goals on the other side <laughs> that, sure. I to, uh, that I will basically yeah. take care of. But on the work sure, front, I think those are those are good good so, uh, landmark things to move. So from an evangelist perspective, you're definitely engaging the IT audience. I think we have 4 million practitioners now on uh, the Jive community platform, so happy to get you mm -hmm. engaged over there. Um, do you ever think about maybe engaging with the AWS native people, right, that maybe aren't necessarily using VMware yet, but uh, uh, you know, getting them in the fold of, well, you have a cloud health, right? Um, is it just targeted at our customer base or is it also expanding that role out into, you know, the 80,000 people that showed up to Amazon reInvent in hmm. November? Both. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Great point. Uh, at last year's co at last year's reInvent, uh, we were very fortunate. Uh, we got a good amount of people to come to the VMware code booth that we had, uh, and thanks to you and the team, uh, you, we presented our, our content over to the, the non-VSure based customer base, if you want to call it that way, right? So absolutely, 100%, we are taking, uh, we're taking that, so the steps in that direction as well to engage community members who may not be part of our existing Beamer uh, uh, family right now, but how do we basically uh, create that bridge so we're able to bring them into the fold on this side of the house as well. So no, absolutely. We're looking at both uh, both aspects. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that uh, that I kind of am trying to wrestle with is, um, you know, when you go to the VMUGs, right, and you sit, it, it, it definitely, we are an audience of running vSAN, running vSphere, now running NSX, which is actually pretty cool, because um, that, that's an interesting thing. I learned some stuff yesterday that I thought was uh, very interesting. Um, but then, you know, it's basically, you know, infrastructure running people. infrastructure in, yeah. your, in your data center. And then you go to AWS reInvent, and it's, you know, uh, guys that are, you know, consuming you know, and don't really run that. And then where is that middle ground? Is it one of our goals to bring people, uh, you know, closer to that? Uh, if, when I go to VMUGs, they're like, no, we're running our infrastructure. You know, we, this is what we have to do. This is, what we, this is our day job. And, and I even think about this podcast and go, how many vSphere things do we touch on? How many of the cloud health, how many of the AWS? How many of the code subjects do we cover? Because it is really this broad spectrum of things now that we're touching, right? And a, and a broader audience, and where do we spend our time talking about things? So all of us in 2020 or 2019 year is, are, are trying to wrestle with that, and I, I wrestle with, with that. Um, so it would be good to get some feedback from community members in general, like yeah. where that balance is on how much of the cloud new, how much of the code automation, and how much of the traditional core. 
do 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 we spend our time talking with them? And I think every advocate must must deal with that. So Prabhu, I'm sure you you know you're going to get to experience that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. So what is uh, if you're if you're engaged with community members, what's your Twitter handle um, so that people can give you a follow? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at, at P-R-A-B-H-U underscore B. Uh, that's my first name, underscore B. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, the website I already told you that we use as a team, uh, beyondvirtual.io, and uh, the same at, on Twitter as well. So you can go to at beyondvirtual.io. All right, great, great. Well, I know we're going to have VMware code again. I, I expect to have at least a couple papers, papers from you uh, going into the queue yeah. so that we can uh, have another good VMworld. Uh, are you uh, are you on uh, any targeted uh, events um, that you know of yet, or are you still just trying? I know that we're going to the developer world in New York uh, come June. We're also going to KubeCon. Um, any ones that you're particularly interested in uh, getting exposure, just let us know. Maybe we can get you, get you some airtime. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, I, I mostly covered, like I was telling you, uh, wasn't being recorded at the time, but I'm based out of the New York, New Jersey area, so I typically end up covering a lot of the stuff up and down the East Coast. So in the coming months, there'll be, I'm sure there will be events that are you know, that that VMware sponsors, and then there'll be non famous focused events as well, which are, um, there will be developer-friendly events and stuff like that. So absolutely. Uh, if there are events that I'm going to, usually I'll publish on Twitter saying I'll be at this event or I'll publish it on LinkedIn. So if you connect with me, I'll be able to, we can definitely try to catch up, meet up. Uh, we can do stuff there, obviously. All right. Great, great, great. Well, Prabhu, thanks for coming on the show. Prabhu Bharati, thanks, uh, thanks again. Uh, give him a follow, uh, and we'll we'll definitely um, follow where we're going. I think it's an interesting topic to to, to judge how much cloud, AWS, uh, multi-cloud, hybrid cloud management software, uh, where we take our careers in this mm. versus how much traditional versus how much, how much DevOps roles do we, do we engage with. So it's, a, it's always a great topic. Uh, and with that, we'll switch gears on uh, the bee barbecue. So thanks a, thanks a lot, uh, Prabhu. I, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Uh, we'll switch gears to V Barbecue. I got V Barbecue. Tony Foster, he's our special V Barbecue guest. As I think we're just going to call him Mr. V Barbecue from now on because he, he's the crazy guy that does barbecue way more than the rest of us. Uh, I've got one, Tony. Um, I, I did baked beans. I tweeted that out this uh, this week. Baked beans. Uh, my grandmother used to make baked beans. And you can make them. You go buy the beans at the grocery store in a little bag, little white ones. Mm -hmm. uh, you soak them huh? for a few hours. Uh, you know, they, there's recipes for baked beans. You make bacon and pork, put them in there with uh, molasses. So the key mm -hmm. to good baked beans is molasses. And let me tell you, you know, you, we eat a lot of canned beans over the course of the year, hot dogs, whatever barbecue you have. Uh, but baked beans are a level on their own. So mm -hmm. I would definitely encourage everybody, maybe I'll go find the baked bean recipe that my wife used and, uh, and post that out. But I would say that it's kind of a lost art where most people don't think about baked beans. But Did you go like cast iron, like directly in the coals or no, we just made them in the oven. Okay. We just baked them in the oven. Um, but let me tell you, wow, I forgot how good, you know, mm -hmm. real baked beans are. And a lot of the baked beans these days at restaurants are stuff are more like chili. Yeah. They're not like really baked. They're like beans. Like they're like more like Hispanic oriented, like soupy beans, where these are like paste, where mm -hmm. you bake them and, oh, man. Get the starches from the Yeah, bean. yeah, the, the beans and then the molasses, you know, Get some tough. So I, I got to say that was a, that's my V barbecue report. Tony, I don't know if you have anything else to add I, there. I, I don't. I did see your picture, and they looked absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, but definitely good. I will post that recipe. And uh, we haven't figured out the V expert party yet, but I have a feeling it's gonna it's gonna involve some type of barbecue. Ooh. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe we can get the V brisket guys there. That would be an interesting idea. Um, 
Okay, we're at the top of the hour, so thanks a lot for listening, guys, as always. Uh, we will be back here again next week. Uh, I did uh, spend a little bit of time learning about uh, service meshes again, and I finally got a guy that could explain it to me in a really good way, like what a, a service mesh is and why we might all want to learn what a service mesh is. Uh, pretty interesting. So I'm going to invite him on the show, and with that, we'll say everybody have a great week, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks, everybody.